the people that I know who haven't failed or who haven't fall on, fell on their faces, those are like some obnoxious, terrible people. And yeah, so like, I agree. <laughs> they, like, I it really, I mean, I think it makes you stronger. It makes you a better person. And um, as far as founders go, a lot of success, most of our successful founders have, have been doing it for years. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of Venturing in VC. As you know, this is the live show where we speak with the most influential venture capitalists in the world about their journeys, routines, and lessons. You've been able to tune in to exciting episodes every single Tuesday. And as I mentioned, this is episode 10. So this is the final episode of season one. Um, we've spoken with a lot of amazing people, but we have to end it off with a bang. So I'm really excited to welcome Alda Lou Dennis. She's a general partner at Initialized, which is an early stage venture capital firm focused on the seed stage. Initialized has six investing partners in over $3.2 billion in assets under management. Also over five core funds since its founding in 2012. Notable investments include many companies you're familiar with like Coinbase, Instacart, and so many more. Before we invite her to the stage, I want to say thank you so much to our official sponsor for episode 10, 9, every episode of season one of Venturing in VC, Seed Invest. Seed Invest is the equity crowdfunding platform that helps entrepreneurs raise the capital they need from the seed stage to series D by harnessing the awesome power of the crowd. You can learn more about how to get your business in front of their amazing network of over 600,000 investors at inside.seedinvest.com. All right, without further ado, we are thrilled to welcome Alda to the stage. Alda, happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday to you. Thanks so much for having me. Of course, of course. And I mean everything I said. I mean, this is episode 10. I'm really excited for this conversation and have been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, so just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on our show. Of course, of course. Super excited. Of course. Yeah. So we can't get to your um, you know, journey in VC without understanding what you're doing before venture capital. Um, so, you know, since I recently graduated from college last year, I'd love to talk about your college days a little bit. Um, I understand you attended Stanford University. You got BAs in economics and political science. Um, let's start with a fun question. What is one daily routine that you developed during those days at Stanford that you can still say you use today? Daily routine. I, I remember, I don't know about you, but I remember my college years as having no, no routine and basically just trying to get by and squeeze in as much fun as you can and not get grades that are too sucky. So um, I do think that that type of context switching is really helpful for mm -hmm. venture because every single day we're taking pitches from different industries, from different founders, learning about different problems that people are trying to solve. And certainly uh, that mimics the college experience because you're just running around trying to do everything one time. I love that. Your answer reminds me of, um, you know, everybody's always asking, like, what does a work-life balance look like? And I don't think there's a such thing as a balance because, as you just said, every day is different. I like to characterize it a little more as a work-life harmony, meaning some days you're going to need to put attention here. Some days you're going to have to do this, do that. Um, I think it's just good to go into every single day um, excited to you know understand like what you can do to be the best version of yourself. But it's difficult to find that one uh, daily routine, especially with a busy schedule like yours. Totally. Um, just get stuff done, right? Exactly. Just get stuff done. I love that. That needs to be on a shirt. Um, <laughs> and then so after that, you went to UCLA. Um, I know we were both just recently in Los Angeles last week um, where you got a, um, a JD there. Uh, what made you interested in pursuing law um, at this point in your life? Uh, 
Oh, well, I had wanted to pursue law ever since I was young. I grew up in a small town called Huntsville uh, in Texas. And um, we were like one of two Chinese families in the whole town. We owned uh, the, the one Chinese restaurant that there was in Huntsville. Wow. And I had always felt like um, in order to like beat the system, you had to understand the system. And I viewed being a lawyer as empowering myself with that secret knowledge of how the system works and at least our legal system and our regulatory systems. And I think, you know, even, even today, day to day, there's so many companies that regulation is a big part of their um, daily lives and how they differentiate themselves or they're responding to regulatory change that it's, it's been helpful, even though I've switched out of law. Of course. And I know, you know, during the founder journey, it can be very stressful to understand, you know, everything legally. So it's great that that's a wonderful resource that you've been able to give to founders that you work with, uh, just insights and input um, around the legal system. But we will get there. Before we do, though, I want to talk about a legal career that you had um, in the past. You worked for Founders Fund as their general counsel for five years. I understand this was uh, kind of your first exposure into the world of venture, but, you know, it was at a different angle. Uh, so talk to us, what was it like working for Founders Fund, um, but not as an investor? Yeah, I, I was actually a, a practicing litigator. And so when I moved over and I had met Peter in undergrad, when I moved over to Founders Fund, it was this whole new world of corporate law. And I remember it was back in the days of like AIM, I would like copy and paste entire paragraphs of the investing documents and send them to my friends and be like, what does this mean? Um so basically, I faked it for a long time. Um, and, you know, what I got out of the experience was really having a, um, I don't know, like an appreciation for the uh, the reverence that we have nowadays. I mean, that, that was like 15 years ago mm -hmm. for founders and how hard it is to be a founder. And literally, it's in the name of the fund, Founders Fund. And so that reverence was there. And it caused me to feel that excitement for wanting to do it. And so I, um, when Sean Parker left, I went with him to a company called Airtime because uh, I wanted to see what it was like on that side. And to be honest with you, when you're picking startups, you know, you want to pick ones that can be well-funded and have all the advantages uh, that, that you're going to need to succeed, like being able to recruit, being able to raise money, being able to, um, in Sean's uh, example, get celebrities on your social network platform and, and all those things. And so I felt like it was a good... Uh, a good first step into trying out the startup world. Of course. Uh, you mentioned some really notable names there, Sean Parker, Peter Thiel. Uh, we're very fortunate. We're in a space where we're surrounded by so many amazing, influential people whom we get to get wonderful advice from. Um, we're going to talk about your time working with Sean, but just going back to Peter shortly, um, was there one piece of advice uh, since this was kind of you know your first exposure into the world of venture? I know you were focused on litigation at Founders Fund, but did, was there one piece of advice that he gave you um, that kind of has helped and like that you still um, think about today? Sure. I mean, at Founders Fund, I was doing I was doing corporate law, but corporate law, um, so. yeah, I mean, I think the lesson you learn from Peter and you know, sort of Peter's philosophy is to sort mm -hmm. of think outside the box, look where other people aren't looking, and. Even beyond that, I've been thinking, you know, as I have now been investing for almost 10 years, I want to invest in companies that are inspiring and exciting and doing good for the world. And having that agency is something that I think I saw uh, the Founders Fund team develop over time, 
right? I think when you're an early investor, you're you're kind of nervous, you're conservative and Mm -hmm. um, sort of being able to just take that leap of faith and take the risk and see something that other people don't see, I think is what brings the, the magic to investing. I love your point on risk-taking. Sometimes we need to put ourselves in, uh, I don't want to say difficult uh, opportunities, but, you know, opportunities that we're not really familiar with in order to learn and, like, you know, see uh, what different sectors have to offer, et cetera. Um, So you wanted that operating experience. Um, You had a chance to work at Airtime, as you mentioned, um, as the COO, Chief Operating Officer. Company was creating live rooms using video, audio at the time. Um, Talk to us about some of those days. You know, what were some of the challenges that you had to push through um, during your time at Airtime? And what are some of the learnings um, that you also developed during during those days? Well, I see it now because we have a bunch of um, social mm-hmm. networking companies that are emerging that are trying to bring um, like a Web3 bent to them. So you have to either own the token to be part of the community or you can get um, merchandise or, you know, uh, uh, you know, early access to music through through tokens. And so I've had a chance to think about the, the problems that, uh, that a company has in getting sort of that flywheel spinning on a social network, right? You know, you have to bring people in, they have to create content, um, you want a sense of community, and you want uh, every new person who joins the network to be adding to it in some way. And um, it's not a problem that's that's gone away. Uh, it's a problem that I think um, a lot of new emerging companies are having. And uh, for us, you know, we we solved it or tried to solve it by having, um, you know, a lot of uh, mainstream celebrities who and doing sort of a big launch around it. And then we also, you know, doubled down with a strategy of sort of approaching influencers. And so there are these tried and true tra- strategies, but obviously the most successful elephant in the room is Facebook and, you know, their strategy for distribution was going from college campus to college campus. And um, so I think, uh, you know, finding your niche and making sure that you can really, really get a lot of activity in that niche is probably the key. Of course, a lot of similarities um, with you there, because I used to work at Cameo, you know, I was an intern very, very early there. And I loved how they use that mode of distribution. I mean, obviously, you know, you're going to have to have celebrities and influential people on Cameo. But, um, you know, that's the reason why I see such a strong utility in there. If you're familiar with Cameo for business, I mean, other companies can totally be using that as well. Um, So you know, operating experience at airtime, you know, very exciting company, but you guys were moving really fast, of course, and you were there very early um, in a very stressful and uncertain time of, you know, being at a startup and running a startup. Um, I'm curious, you know, what were some really strong things that you learned um, when it came to perseverance and like, you know, really dealing with uncertainty when it comes to building an early stage startup? I, I think one thing that I learned is sometimes you just kind of have to get out there and learn your lesson on, you know, let it break. Uh, you don't want to iterate into eternity. Um, I, team culture is really, really important. It's something mm-hmm. we focus with on our uh, early stage companies. And, you know, we work with them pretty closely um, and, and making sure that the culture is strong. The culture is one of building and product and iteration. And those are the, the cores of the business. Um because you know, it doesn't matter if it's an enterprise or a marketplace or a fintech company. Really, uh, being productive entire, uh, entails uh, feeling cohesive as a team. I love that point. I mean, really establishing that um, you know culture early at a company can really serve founders right. Um, because as you scale, you know, you're going to have to put out so many different fires um, because you know it happens so quick. But um, if you're able to be consistent with that culture and really understand the mission of what you're building from day one in a very clear way. 
um, that will only help other people, you know, that you bring onto the team in the future, understand it as well. Um, so spent time at airtime and now we can transition into your uh, time at 137 Ventures, uh, where you served as the managing director. Uh, I'm curious, you know, what made you decide to get more involved as a capital allocator at a venture fund? When did you know the time was right to leave airtime for 137 Ventures? Well, actually, uh, Airtime moved to move their offices to New York. Um, and so I had decided, you know, I just had two kids and that it mm -hmm. wasn't a great time to make a move. And so uh, I knew the guys at 137 Ventures from Founders Fund. Both of, of the founders there were at Founders Fund when I was there. And I really understood the problem that they were trying to solve. There are, uh, there's so much wealth in companies that's being created in the tech community. And, um, the ability to unlock that wealth takes a really long time. These companies don't go public for you know, 10, 15, 20 mm -hmm. years. And maybe if you're like C-suite or you're a founder, you can get some early liquidity. But for everyone else, they can't buy houses because their W-2 income isn't high enough. They have all this money, but it's just paper wealth and um, you know, paying for private schools, all these things that like happen that, that change in your lives from when you're you know, your age, Landon, to when you're my age are things that require money. And uh, there was no good way to unlock that. And I still think it's a problem that there's no good way to unlock the value of that capital. Um, and so what 137 was doing was providing opportunities for uh, individuals to take loans against their equity uh, to, uh, to sort of in a structured way so that they could live their lives. Of course. Yeah, no. And you guys obviously, you know, and you personally had some... Um great opportunities to work with some great companies uh, during your time at 137 Ventures. I understand, um, you know, you were an investor in Course Hero, Work Market, which was acquired by ADP, Planet Labs. But I mean, breaking it down, and this is going to be perfect for our transition um, into getting to initialize, um, you know, you're starting with companies very, very small, you know, when there is only really just an idea. Um, and at a lot of times, you know, it can be before revenue, etc. Um, so let's kind of break down that pitch, you know, let's say like, you are watching a pitch and a lot of people always want to ask the question, you know, what are some traits of a good pitch? But well, I'm curious, what are some traits of a bad pitch? Because we want to give people tuning in the best advice that they need to really, you know, help take that idea, get investment and help grow their companies. So we vote on our companies and we vote on four different uh, criteria. The first one is deal. Uh, the second one is product. Uh, the third one is founder. And the fourth one is market. And, um, I would say, you know, five years ago when I joined the firm, I I didn't have a great sense of like which one of those was going to be the most important one. And very quickly mm -hmm. I learned it's really just the founder, right? Um, and uh, that's probably at least like 50% of the, the equation, right? And then what I've learned, you know, as I've been investing more at the early stage is that the other three like are basically superseded by the second criteria, which is like, do do I feel excited about what you were building, right? Does it move me? Does it compel me? Do I want to spend my time working on it? Would I go work for you? All those things are basically embodied in this concept of like, does this excite me, right? And I, I think that that's like the 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 intangible, right? Of course, it has to do with like whether or not you, you your product is good or whether or not the pro the market is interesting and not um, oversaturated. But really, at the end of the day, I, I think you can just boil it down to that criteria. So it's like good founders and like is this something that like I want to work on and put my money behind and, and time behind. And um, and unfortunately, like sometimes you get bogged down in the details of mm -hmm. uh, you know 
this is a very specific problem and this is why it matters. Um, and I, I do feel like at least for initial pitch, it's, it's building that excitement, um, inspiring your audience that is really going to make the difference. And if they care enough, yeah, they'll dig down into like, okay, well, how is this competitor different for you or, or whatever? Um, or what is line 32 on your spreadsheet? But at the end of the day, at the early stage, um, you, you just have to like, you know, bring the thrill, right? Like um, mm -hmm. make people feel as passionate about what you're building as you do. Yes. Yeah. That reminds me of something uh, funny. I believe you tweeted last year where you were sitting through a pitch and like, um, you know, it could have been over 30 minutes and you had no idea what the company, um, you know, did. And I feel like that's probably something that happens common um, in the space. And yes, pitching can be a very stressful thing to do, but I just think that you start by just looking yourself in the mirror. And if you can't communicate what you do to yourself, uh, why are other people going to want to invest in your company? Um, so you need or to like, really you, like, clear. you know, like, can you explain to your mom, right? Like, what is this? Like why yes. it matters. Um, and because at the end of the day, like that's, that's, you know, sure. You might be able to find an expert in your specific industry and in your field, but I guarantee you're going to want to have cast a, a broader swath of investors when you're pitching them because you want to give yourself as much chance as possible. And so think about it in a way that is easy to digest and yeah, um, that, that can impart uh, the enthusiasm. Yeah, something you can explain to your mom. I love that because she's tuning in currently. So uh, hopefully she <laughs> understands what I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so speaking about, you know, past tweets that you've made, I'd love to um, kind of get a little more advice for founders dealing with uncertainty. Um, you tweeted something beautiful a few years ago uh, that said that you failed many times, but you feel like, um, you know, still to this day, you can do anything you put your mind to. Um, if you don't believe in yourself, how can you convince others to? Um, very related to kind of what you said um, in the past question, but I'm curious, you know, the founders dealing with, you know, have a lot of uncertainty, um, not just with the pandemic, but I mean, there are so many other things that um, is making it difficult, you know, for a lot of founders to push through. What advice do you give to companies within your portfolio to push through that uncertainty? Uh, there's just, I mean, I think time is on our side, right? Um, I remember thinking when I graduated from law school that there was this path. Right. I would go to a law firm. I'd stay there for like eight or nine or 10 years. I would make partner, uh, you know, and, and that would be it. Right. Um, and, you know, I've done like six different jobs since then and um, and, and experienced different things. And so there's there's time and every experience that we have of hardship, of triumph is a learning experience. And um, gosh, I, I'm just thinking back like like I. I the people that I know who haven't failed or who haven't fallen on, fall on their faces, those are like some obnoxious, terrible people. Yeah, and so, like, I agree. <laughs> they, like, I it really, I mean, I think it makes you stronger. It makes you a better person. And um, as far as founders go, a lot of success, most of our successful founders have, have been doing it for years, right? They've been persevering through hardship or it's their second startup or their third startup. Um, I think a good example is Parker Conrad. He, uh, on, on Rippling, his, his third startup is uh, doing great. And I heard at the upfront conference that, you know, portfolio founders or founders were talking about how like they had to switch from, you know, this other payroll provider to Rippling because Rippling was so much better. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like the Zenefits experience uh, was, was one that taught him how to, how to build Rippling. And then before that, he had SigFig and, you know, and cancer and, you know, things that make you, you stronger and have great perspective on the world. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I do not trust people that haven't gone through a hardship. And not that I want to like root for people to have hardships and uncertainties. If you can get through life, I mean, crystal clear, that's completely fine. Um, but I mean, I, I really um, just relate more to people who have, you know, been able to get through the challenging times to create something, build something really powerful, um, especially things that help others. Um, so Alda, I'd love to dive deeper now into Initialize. I understand we've spoken about, you know, your time investing, et cetera, but let's get into some of the specifics. Um, we'll start with the first question. What prompted you to join the team? Well, I thought it would be, you know, so I was doing sort of secondaries and later stage. And um, I, I thought it would be, I don't know, I thought it would be better fit for my personality to do something earlier stage and mm -hmm. really roll up your sleeves and be more hands-on and build a relationship with those founders and not just be looking at sort of, you know, the numbers on the piece of paper to determine whether or not it's a good business and um, going to hit our return threshold. And I've gotten, you know, all of that and, and more. I, I think I underestimated how um, stressful and nerve wracking it can be. Not even, I mean, it, it's like 10 times worse or 20, 100 times worse to actually be the founder. But even sort of as your, as your, your champion and your cheerleader um, and occasional therapist, it's still very uh, stressful and, and nerve wracking because, you know, I, I care about each of our companies. We initialize care about all of our companies and, um, want them to succeed, uh, not just for our financial gain and our LP's financial gain, but because we pick them because they're doing something interesting and good um, and meaningful. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you wear multiple hats, you know, as a capital allocator. Um, and I understand, you know, it can be a difficult journey, but what makes it fun is at least having a great team. Uh, so talk to us about your team. You know, I know you work with Gary Tan, Jennifer Wolf, and a wonderful team at Initialized. Um, how excited are you to wake up every day and work with these amazing people? Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, and not to mention Kim Mike Cutler, who mm -hmm. uh, used to be a reporter and does great work in climate tech and on civic companies and herself has a, you know, very, very um, active uh, interest and in, in following. Uh, my partner, Brett, is, is really focused on crypto now. And obviously, you know, there are billion dollar, multi-billion dollar funds that are devoted to this industry. And so, um, it's 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 great uh, it's great to learn from them and be be partners with good kind high integrity people and we think of that as something that's our superpower. Of course, um, and getting into some of the specifics of what you know, if I were a founder, what I can expect from initialized capital because you know we. I often um, tell people, I mean, you know, from information I've got on the show, I mean, it's important and obviously VCs do their own due diligence on companies, but founders also need to do their due diligence on uh, the funds uh, to find that perfect fit. Um, so what are some of the favorite qualities and, um, you know, just the things that you give um, to founders personally and overall at Initialized? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're in this fortunate position of being um, an early stage fund. But now that we have our sixth fund under our belt, which we closed in December, you know, we have enough AUM and resources and management fees, frankly, that we can put more and more of that back into team members who are helping to support our portfolio companies. I remember, mm -hmm. you know, five years ago, it was like, oh, like, you know, we would love to be able to add someone who works on just PR for our portfolio companies or, uh, you know, just work on brand or, or design or recruiting. And, uh you know, we're fortunate that now we're in a position that we can bring on those resources and we're actively, you know, hiring and doing that um, well into this year. And, and our planning is is really to, to start, um, well, not to start, but to continue uh, making those resources more robust. So uh, just the examples I gave you, like brand building or design or recruiting, 
uh, uh, PR, marketing, all those areas are ones that we think are specifically tailored for companies that are trying to get to product market fit. And um, that's why we sort of focus there uh, on, on what we are, are uh, the support that we're trying to give. That's amazing. And uh, congrats, yes, on the new fund you just mentioned. Um, it was $700 million uh, fund that was announced back in December. Um, again, I love something that you tweeted. Um, I haven't been stalking your Twitter, but I mean, you'd make some amazing tweets and you did tweet that as amazing as that number is, um, you know, it's always about the number, not a lot of focus on, you know, the LPs or like other um, aspects of the fund. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. What is your advice for a capital allocator um, that's looking to attract and like get connected with the best LPs that make the most sense for the fund? Well, you know, so we were both at the, uh, the upfront conference last week, Landon, and you and I didn't see each other. Um, but we did see, I did see like hundreds of people who were uh, hungry, who had hustle. And I saw a lot of LPs who were receptive to that and wanting to meet who the next generation of, uh, you know, great VCs are. And that's what really struck me about the crowd there. Um, you know, these weren't people who flew in on their private jets, right? Mm -hmm. There was probably like a party at LAX, uh, you know, on, on Southwest for the people who were flying in. It was like that next generation of investors who haven't yet, you know, acquired their private jet. And you could feel the hunger, you could feel the hustle. And um, like those types of events are great ways to meet LPs because it was, you know, it was basically a GPLP mm -hmm. crowd and uh, start to build the relationship and getting people to know you and trust your instincts and show them through time that you have perspective and you can win deals. Yes. Yeah. This is a relationship business. And I think that um, I really appreciate my generation for understanding this as well. Like we no longer want like these just transactional relationships. We're looking for more like long-term relationships. Like, you know, as great as uh, happy I am as I am to have you on my show today, I'm hoping we can have, you know, a continued relationship after this um, and, you know, friendship and, you know, same for every other people I meet uh, through this show as well. So I think that um, that's something that I'm really happy that my generation is understanding, but it's beyond that, you know, we're looking for less uh, quantity, you know, it's not no longer just about the quantity of how many people you know in your network. It's more about the quality of the people that you have and how long these relationships um, can count as well. Um, so I think that's really important um, stuff that you mentioned there. Um, so in addition to Initialize and through Initialize as well, you've invested in some great projects and companies supporting female founders. Uh, the Mom Project is the first one I want to talk about. Um, how did you get involved with creating and now uh, working with the Mom Project? And, and I might I add another Chicago uh, Chicago company, yep. uh, like Cameo. Um, so I got uh, someone. It was actually a VC, a small VC out of um, Atlanta that first told me about the Mom Project. They invested the pre-seed, and um, I, I actually asked him for an intro. I was like, "That sounds really interesting. Can you introduce me?" And I'm ashamed to admit that we passed at the seed. Um, I had looked at, a, you know, I, you mentioned I invested in work market, which was a labor marketplace. Mm -hmm. And their sort of niche was that, um, or their hook was that they were sort of selling software to manage your 1099 workforce and then building a marketplace off of that. And so I had some background. I thought about um, that type of marketplace where you want to sort of add demand and supply side and get the labor on. Um, and uh, for the Mon Project, I, I had at that time just wasn't sort of convinced they have no problem on the supply side. Uh, the branding is very, very clear, right? <laughs> this is who we're appealing to. And so they have a lot of organic uh, right now. I think they have almost you know, 600,000 women, um, mostly moms. There are some, some guys uh, on, on uh, their platform. 
and uh, you know they're they're doing a, a ton of uh, work on the uh, various enterprise. So there's small SMB and enterprise, and there's also contingent. So it's it's sort of that flywheel spinning. And so uh, Allison, the CEO, came back to me at the A, and we're not usually uh, A investors, but um, I thought I had made a mistake. Like this was, uh, they were they were getting things to work. They were getting integrated into big companies like Delta Airlines. Uh, and, and just for their contingent hiring um, through their staffing agencies and becoming, you know, authorized staffing, staffing agency. And, and I could see how um, this was really appealing. And this was pre-COVID, but people wanted to have more flexible work arrangements. People wanted mm -hmm. to work remote. And I know now it seems like it's an obvious thing because, you know, I haven't seen the inside of my office for quite some time. Um, but that it was very timely in that sense. And then on the other hand, people were also getting, uh, companies were getting more aware that diversity matters and they were signing diversity pledges and diversity initiatives and um, having a platform that's, you know, sort of 95% women and uh, half of them are uh, underrepresented minorities is is really compelling from a, from a, you know, a hiring perspective. Of course. No, it's a great company doing great work. Um, still on the subject of uh, supporting, you know, female founders and, um, you know, females that are building wonderful companies, since especially it is uh, National Women's Day, which should be every day. But I mean, you know, today's Yay. National Women's Day. Um, what else can, um, you know, men and especially in the space, you know, venture capital, um, you know, what can we do to assist, you know, in helping, um, you know, support female founders as well? Well, you know, people often ask me, like, if I had a mentor, like, I never had any mentor. Like, I wish I had a mentor growing up, right, or, or through my career. And I think that's a, a great way to help people out is give them advice and, um, you know, check in with them regularly and, um, you know, be interested and care, right? I think that's 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 all it takes, right, is, is, is awareness and, you know, trying to, like, do things to, to make a small difference. Yes, just give a helping hand because you never know who might need it. Um, so before and it'll come back, it'll come back and stay. Always right? does, yeah. yeah. No, life, life has a funny way of working like that. I totally agree. Um, so, final question of this section before we move to our next one. I'd love to learn a little bit more about um, the initialized portfolio. Uh, some companies that you are really excited to be working with as well um, that you haven't mentioned already. That'd be great. Sure. So uh, another one that I think is um, is doing great work is Landed. Uh, I sit on the board of the Mom Project and and, and also Landed. And what Landed is doing is providing um, down payment assistant mortgages, financial services for essential professionals. And, you know, pre-COVID, that was sort of not a meaningful term, uh, but they were focused on sort of teachers, faculty members. And now they're also working with hospitals, nurses, um, administrators. And the premise there is that it's really expensive to live, you know, in the Bay Area or in, in the Chicago area or, in, you know, in the New York metropolitan area. And um, you want to keep those essential professionals in your community. Mm -hmm. And we've seen what's happened uh, with these metropolitan areas uh, during during COVID. And, you know, firefighters, policemen, they're like the fabric of where we live. And um, we want to make sure they can buy homes. We want to make sure they can afford the homes. We want to make sure that they can have the types of financial services that they need uh, to be able to, to thrive. Of course, that's and, another great company uh, focused on supporting financial inclusivity. Um, I see a theme, you know, very um, interested in those uh, companies that you're investing in uh, focused on financial inclusivity. I'm uh, curious before we moved on to our, our next section, quick follow-up, do you see crypto as a way um, to uh, support, you know, finding more inclusiveness uh, within the financial sector, 
giving more people opportunities, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, we talked about how I'm a lawyer and, you know, there are these regulations around investing uh, for most of us in industries uh, that are higher risk. And what I love about crypto is that it is available to anybody, right? Um, and certainly we want to make sure that there's education and resources uh, to, mm -hmm. to um, so that people can make informed investment decisions. But uh, the type of wealth that can be generated uh, from crypto is is accessible to anybody. And you know what I think we need to work on more is you know making sure that the education and the risks involved are also um, well known and well, well established and part of a balanced portfolio. I agree. Yeah, lowering the barrier of entry because it can be very difficult to understand a lot in the space. But I recommend everybody you know get on Twitter, follow some people um, who are building some great stuff in the space. I mean, that's kind of how you can start to learn. But um, yeah, you got to do your own research as well. Um, create your own principles when it comes to how you want to invest, et cetera. So Alda, we're going to go to some of these questions that have been coming in from the audience. Before we add some to the screen, just want to say thank you so much. You guys have always been contributing some wonderful questions. Keep them coming in if you have any for Alda while we have her here. Um, but we will go for um, number one with Ian. Uh, does Initialize only want warm intros? If not, how could a startup get in touch? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that there are ways to reach the partners. But it's not um, necessarily like a cold email because email is so saturated now with spam and, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, I'm trying, like people are trying to get you to buy their software or whatever. And I, I would think about um, reaching people at Initialize through, you know, like Twitter or YouTube or, I mean, the warm intro is always great or um, venues like these or we often have partners that are judging pitch competitions uh, going to conferences. And so I, I think it's it's possible to get um, in, but uh, probably in ways that require more hustle. Um, and if you're going to do that hustle, then the number one hustle would be to get a warm intro. Totally. Yeah. So I think um, you just mentioned two things there. I just want to point them out to make sure our audience understands. You got to be unique, uh, find ways that you can stand out, um, and also realize that there are so many distractions in the world. I mean, Aldo's probably receiving so many emails um, a day along with, you know, so many other individuals that we've interviewed on this show. So kind of goes back to the first one, you know, you got to be unique, got to find ways that you can stand out um, and really just be simple, straight to the point. Um, that's also been a theme of something that we've mentioned a few times. No, I mean, like you asked me for, you know, like, you know, pitfalls and get, if you, if it is an email and it's got like a bunch of buzzwords and you don't know what's, what this <laughs> is, then that's very, you know, very low likelihood of getting any, yep. any response because you're just like, I, I don't, you know, like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. I like to um, kind of say simply that like, if you would receive this email, how would you react? I mean, and that's kind of what I say to myself whenever I, um, you know, if I am emailing someone and expecting a response, you know, I kind of say like, okay, if I were to receive this long email with a lot of words <laughs> I don't understand, what are the odds of me responding right away? I mean, is there urgency, et cetera? Um, so yeah, just be really intentional as well. Um, a question from Jason on YouTube. Uh, what do you think of a startup receiving SBIR or STTR grants while fundraising? I mean, I I think that it's so hard to be a startup founder, um, you know. And if there are grants available or um, way, ways to get capital um, that are, you know, and and obviously you qualify, then um, that's a great avenue to go down, right? Um, I, you know, we we are 
we had conversations with our companies a lot, you know, we've been doing more on the biotech side and certainly grants um, are, are available for scientific research. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. spent time at the, uh, talking to uh, some people at the SBA about the types of um, programs that they're running for small businesses and seeing if our companies can qualify uh, the PIP uh, loans that were uh, uh, passed out in 2020 were something that we did a lot of work on and seeing if our uh, portfolio founders would qualify or they should qualify. And so, um, absolutely. Awesome. A uh, question from Ian on YouTube. Uh, does Initialize only look for unicorns or is it a solid niche play um, or also a solid niche play with good growth potential um, also considered? Yeah, I mean, I uh, we are not trying to generate these sort of, you know, two to four X type of returns. Um, you know, we are sort of trying to get the, you know, Coinbase's, Instacart, these sort of mm-hmm. multi-billion dollar companies. And we think about our underwriting um, as being able to return our fund. And our last fund was, you know, $500 million on our core fund. And so, um, you know, we're, we're trying to own 10% of those companies. Of course, there's going to be some dilution and some re-ups. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's like 5% and that 5% should return, you know, $500 million. And so you're, you are looking at something that can be a multi-billion dollar company, which is not to say that um, small businesses, you know, my own family being small business owners ourselves are not fantastic um, or even sort of, you know, I mean, you know, I, I think that they're great. And oftentimes I do wish uh, and encourage more founders like, hey, you can run this as a profitable business and, you know, take home two, three million dollars a year uh, with very little work, like, you know, just sort of in maintenance mode, like, is that's a pretty good outcome, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I don't, there's not much you can't buy with that amount of, uh, with that, that amount of take home. Of course. No, thank you for breaking that down. Um, and final question we'll take from uh, Jason on YouTube. Does initialize uh, tend to lead rounds or prefer to? Yes. Yeah, okay. we we, uh, we definitely want to lead. Uh, we don't usually, you know, since we do have sort of a 10 to 15% ownership target, um, mm-hmm. we don't, we don't uh, sort of do the small check follower, follower capital. Awesome. Oh, you guys are the leaders. <laughs> awesome. Well, Alda, I just want to say thank you so much for taking time to speak with us on Venturing in VC. I really enjoyed this conversation and I will be uh, re-listening to it when it comes out on Thursday because uh, you know a lot of advice that you gave, I mean, could be not just for capital allocators currently, but I mean, anybody that just wants good advice about pivoting in their careers, taking risks, and of course, uh, leading with empathy as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's great to spend time with you. Yeah, and thank um, you to everyone who contributed questions. A lot of great questions came in. Um, and as I mentioned, everybody, this episode will be going live Thursday morning. So be on the lookout for that. Please share with your peers and uh, please re-listen as well like I will be doing. And just want to say thank you again for supporting Venturing in VC Season 1. We'll be back at it starting next week with Season 2. Um, and you can sh- learn more about that episode at inside.com slash VIBC. And lastly, thank you again to our sponsor, Seed Invest, changing the game for entrepreneurs, connecting startups with a network of everyday investors. You can learn more about how to get your business in front of their network at inside.seedinvest.com. See ya. Today's episode of Venturing in VC is brought to you by Seedinvest, the curated equity crowdfunding platform helping entrepreneurs raise the capital they need from seed stage to series D by harnessing the awesome power of the crowd. 
Learn more about how you can get your business in front of Seedinvest's network of over 600,000 investors looking for opportunities at www.inside.seedinvest.com.